All right, Jack. End of your episode. Woo-hoo. We've uh, have a lot to be thankful for this year, but as we kind of wrap up 2023 here, uh, I thought we could do a, a little bit of a retrospective in a way, right? As far as looking back, but more importantly, like how does that inform us looking forward and what what predictions do you have for folks? So. I kind of put it back to you. Like, what do you, what, what do you think? What's the, what's, what's the one thing that stands out to you as all the stuff that you've learned over the past year, what would be the one recommendation or challenge to folks for the next calendar year? Yeah. I like the way you frame it, right? Because retrospectively, I think based on the number of interviews we've done, the amount of media attention that's been focused on the number of organizations, you know, we've tried to help out. People have been really surprised by the impact that successful attacks have inside their environments. And as I was thinking, as we're coming up on the show, I was like, you know, what would what would I recommend to people? You, you wanna stay away from so like, hey, my easy resolution is this, but you know, how would I do things? What would I recommend people do differently as they start off 2024? Um, and I think that my recommendation would be that they try to create internal to their own organizations and appropriate to their own organizations, a way to understand what'll actually happen if and when an attack succeeds because we have seen really smart organizations, really well-protected organizations have one tiny flaw, one tiny gap, and the increased sophistication of malware, the increased sort of monetary benefit to attackers has started to see those small holes being all that these organizations need to expand. So my recommendation would be, and sort of my, my hope that organizations go would be, they understand better what might happen if things go wrong. What do you think? Well, it's interesting, right? We've always had the saying that, you know, defenders have to get it right a thousand times, whereas attackers only have to get it right once, mm-hmm. right? And so for all the reasons that you just said, um, I, I, think, I think it's valid, right? We see one small oversight can lead to catastrophic impacts. And, um, you, you know, but it's like, it's, it's like, it's super fascinating to me um, like we talk about like defense in depth and like all the stuff that comes mm-hmm. with it, right? I'm not, I'm not even going to repeat it just because we all hear it so much, but yet everybody believes it. Everybody tries to practice it, but yet we still have issues, right? Mm. Part of that too, I think is, um, in not the same, but t- tangentially related is, um, uh, the, the coverage question that comes up is like, like how much. Uh, how much visibility do you actually have and are you aware of? Like, what are you, are you aware of all, all the assets within your environment, right? And it's, it's interesting. Like, if you, if you would ask me that question 10 years ago, I was like, would in 2023 and 2024, would people have figured this out? I would have been like, yeah, absolutely. And here we are. I'm like, well, I'm still sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, na- the, the natures of the assets have changed so much, right? They're, they're so much easier to spin up a workload or just get a session go some, going someplace or some Lambda services out like spinning out some small term task, right? It's just gotten a lot more complicated, you know, and, and the, the sense of how should they think about it? How should they look at it? How should they understand it? I think it calls for an entirely different approach. Mm-hmm. Right. We know, you know, probably the top 5% of organizations and that may be being generous or maybe being cynical, but maybe the top 5% do anything in terms of like a tabletop exercise, which by its nature is like this big compared to an organizational exposure, which is like this big. Um, and then 
we have people who are really quite good about running penetration tests, whether because PCI mans or somebody else mandates it, or they just understand it's nice to get a look at it. But that again is sort of like, am I broken kind of in this very particular way? And there isn't very much information in a traditional pen test about what would happen now that I've proven that I can get in, right? And I know you've done a pile of work over the years because we've talked about it, but on the, the need for forms of things like synthetic malware, right, that are not destructive, but they give you a sense of both the visibility you just mentioned, right, the fact that people don't necessarily understand everything they should be covering, and the fact that attacks may basically become pervasive in a way that organizations don't expect them to because they don't understand it. Yeah, well, I think um, the idea of synthetic campaigns and synthetic malware is um, it's it's the direction we're headed, right? Because I think it most closely matches uh, the most impactful, uh, you know, risk that we all face within our industry today. It's like people get whacked by ransomware all the time. Like it's, it's dominated our headlines so much. Like we've stopped doing breach of the week because it's the same thing every single week. <laughs> but there's a point that, um, traditional tabletops and traditional pen testing doesn't really protect you from that specific risk. And like, you could, you, you could argue from like, like a exterior penetration standpoint, like, is there value to be had? Yes. 100, 100%. Um, but the reality of it is, is there's always compensating control. There's always things that mitigate risk. Even if you can get in through a firewall, is there some access control policy prohibiting you from like taking the next step? If you get a domain credential through the course of a penetration test, like do you have something like a privileged access management tool that just go ahead and resets that password every 10 seconds, right? That slows down mm. the attack. But the reality is like that doesn't really reflect uh, how today's attacks occur or are perpetuated, right? And it starts in all the ways like we all know ransomware like happens, right? And it starts. So I can assume everybody listening to this and like can we we can agree to that inventory, but at the spirit of it is, um, in order to closely match that attack profile, to adequately measure your risk of impact should something happen, the only way that you can, uh, clearly measure that. With no uncertain terms is if you were able to run a synthetic malware campaign it's not it's not to replace the importance of the other two things like tabletops penetration testing all those exercises are still super important for all the reasons they're important um but the idea of a synthetic campaign is basically you roll in your synthetic hand grenade uh it detonates you can see anything that would be impacted but you don't have to worry about any of the loss of life right and it's saying okay like we go into any office space and we know we detonate this thing and be like, oh, like he got hit, she got hit, this machine's gone, this entire floor is wiped out. But now you can actually like measure the impacts of those things and you can just reverse it real quick, run it, put some protections in place, run it again, put some protection in place, run it again. And so um, I think that's going to be the next uh, the next evolution of uh of kind of like attack simulations that we're gonna to see today. And un until we get to that point, um, you can't really measure impacts. You really can't measure risk. 
you can't measure uh, the true um, the true the true implications of seeing a cam like a ransomware attack actually happen within your environment. So until you run these things, these synthetic campaigns, like you actually can't answer those questions. But um, I feel like we're we're emerging to the point in time where we actually can now. And I think it's it's mega important as you're talking. I'm thinking back to our discussion of the comments by Mario Greco, who's the CEO for Zurich, talking about the uninsurability of cyber risk because you cannot tell what's going to happen. They talk about a potentially unlimited liability. But if someone can execute what you just described, then they actually have a better grasp on it. And then the insurer has a better way to understand and mandate different kinds of protections that either are in place or should be in place to give benefit to the insurability of the client. And I'd also say, as you're describing it, I like that sort of throw magical hand grenade test, throw magical hand grenade test and prove, right? Um, that also strikes me as one of the first times we've ever talked about next dollar in cybersecurity. Where should I spend my next dollar in cybersecurity? I guarantee, you know, you roll the hand grenade in the first time, you're gonna find a bunch of places you didn't realize were vulnerable. I guarantee if you don't throw the hand grenade in, you're going to spend more stuff on the same places you've already spent. And so the incremental cybersecurity value, defensive value, protection value that you're getting for that dollar is so much less if you just keep doing what you thought you should be doing in the first place because the proven impact of these ransomware campaigns, um, it, it, it indicates that clearly we don't understand everything that we should be worried about and that next dollar may very well be spent someplace else. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's spot on, right? I mean, imagine a world where like you have no security protections. Um, you don't really haven't made any investment into your cyber defense posture. Hmm. Or maybe, or perhaps you even made some, right, in smaller amounts, but you don't know if it's working. Under that scenario, you can answer all those questions in no uncertain terms. Right. And you say, OK, like, where is my highest risk? Where is my highest impact? And then you can be sure any investment that's made, any time spent is mitigating the most amount of risk to your organization. And if you can get to that point, like now you're starting to feel good about, you know, the technologies you invest because you're not guessing anymore. You're not guessing whether you actually need it or whether it's going to provide value to you. It's like, you know, like, you know, for sure, like we actually have to have this because if uh, bad phishing campaign goes completely sideways and everybody starts blowing up these little things of ransomware all across the environment like we are whack nine days till Sunday right but um, but anyway there's there's a sense of uh, clarity and intentionality and planning when you're able to kind of run like live fire simulations like that so I'm not sure how much of like my face the the dumpster is going to be able to get involved as you're speaking in this um, but I just had a J-I-E, which I think of as the Justin-inspired epiphany. So watch this. Here we go. So when we're at the top of the show, you were talking about how you know, organizations think in terms of defense and depth and lots of protections and this and that. And as I'm thinking about the campaigns we've seen, and I'm thinking about where people tend to be exposed and those assets that aren't covered, um, defense and depth doesn't really help. It's a different kind of model, right? Yeah. Defense and depth says... I'm going to keep you away from my important asset. And so you'll get through here. If you won't get here, get through here. Frankly, ransomware, a lot of the campaigns we see are like this. They, they benefit because of the fact they spread at a very surface level 
across a crap ton of machines. They never worry about getting in any deeper than just that top level. And you're the one who's always, you know, helping me to better understand the motion of computing to the edge, right? And so I'm wondering if in this episode number, whatever the dubster puts in of Pwn, are we really thinking about defense and breadth from now on? Right, mm. you only apply depth where you need to in those unique cases where the asset has to be uniquely strongly protected. But in general, recognizing the immense attack surface that we have these days and the threats that can can basically exploit it, we should be thinking about defense and breadth. I like it. We should. Uh, I I like the term. So when we hear it used widely, we're going to credit you for it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, to kind of further the thinking, I don't. Um, I think the idea of defense in depth represents a defensive tactic of days past, right? Mm. Not, not to say it's not important, not to say it should be overlooked. It's super important when you're protecting things like company secrets and, sure. uh, like your core systems, maybe they're running your ERP, so whatever it is. Right. Um, but, uh, when we see today's campaigns and the most successful ones, it's not that they captured company secrets in all cases. It's the public shaming that comes after it that people are right completely on. terrified of. Like they didn't, the defense and depth strategy almost does not apply because systems were compromised and you're publicly uh, being shamed by whatever attacker that the systems were compromised. Right. So, um, so in that vein, it's, less about a need of depth, and it really is about breadth to mitigate the reputational risk that comes with getting whacked by one of these things. Absolutely right. And if you think about the danger, the, the practical impact against the business, aside from the reputational impact, the negative reputational impact, um, it is really that the systems, the services no longer work because so many of these tangential systems just stop working. That you know, as, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about how do I protect power in a community, right? Well. You know, if I really want to protect the delivery of power, you know, defense in depth says you make darn sure that there's a you know fence around the power plant and gates and security guards and what have you. But all they have to do, if they have enough time and enough and enough monkeys, they can just cut all the wires. Like in the neighborhoods, they cut, they they destroy the transformer to every neighborhood. They destroy every transformer in the town. Congratulations, nobody has any power, but that power plant is really well protected. But by the way. Fixing that is probably more expensive than building a new power plant, or at least it's close, right? And yeah. so, in 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 your example, right, the that breadth I think is super important because, as you say, the the campaigns have just changed. They're no longer trying to bore in. They're no longer trying to get you know back doors and repeatable access into core systems so that they can steal transactions or steal company secrets. They're trying to shut it down so you have to pay to spin it back up again. Yeah. Yep. Um. And it, you know what's what's interesting is uh, they are uh, these attack actors are somewhat ruthless and they know the tactic works, right? Right on. Evidence by the fact of the recent news article, which which we can link to, um, forgetting all the details of it, but the spirit of it is uh, the ransomware campaign works, right? Company gets their systems back up online, and then they that attack actor files a complaint with the SEC that said company didn't appropriately disclose a breach. 
Right. There you go. Right. So, um, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that's working for them. Mm-hmm. How, how would you, how would you tie this all up in something that's a clear summary for a de- defense in depth? Just, sorry. Oh my gosh. Defense and breadth. <laughs> defense and breadth. Uh, uh, story here. Sure. If we go back to the half-formed resolution, right? It's understand what's going to happen if somebody gets in, right? Let's let's start with that. And I think that for some organizations who have talented, experienced staff, that may be you know get the person who's in charge of um, uh, IT, you know, organization that's in charge of desktop support, in charge of business unit servers, etc. So you can create what you feel is a relatively comprehensive list. Um, and then use whoever's on your security team who has a, a grasp of doing asset identification, network scans, et cetera, to find all the stuff you missed. And then take a look at it, right? And even if that's sort of where you start, we actually go through all that time and exercise to figure it out and then do some campaign research. You can look at our site. You can do threat and tell through your own vendors or through, you know, folks like Recorded Future or whomever and see what the tactics are that the, the, uh, the current predominant attacks use and figure out what would happen or hire somebody to do it, right? We've seen it be very successful for 30 years in penetration testing. Hire a professional who can come and help you do that enumeration, who already has instantiated inside their heads knowledge about what's likely to happen in the course of one of these attacks. So you can actually paint a more accurate picture from an outsider's view, let them look around and see what's going on. Really sort of like, maybe it's sort of a next generation penetration test, Justin, right? Maybe that's what this is all gonna evolve into is, is a new way to understand what happens post initial penetration to get these things to happen. And then what arrives out of that is that list of all the things that are gonna be exposed, all the things that have potential to be damaged. So you can start doing your defense and breadth strategy, right? You can say, well, wait a minute, simple segmentation over here will be great. Application of stronger um, MFA in this location will be great. Um, just not allowing these systems to ever get on the internal, you know, basically the trust part of the network, that'd be great. But you can sort of make some of those decisions advisedly. So defense in breadth becomes much more than a great big hammer and everything's a nail. It becomes much more, I understand what the likely impacts are. And so to your point earlier, I'll apply the right mitigating controls where necessary so that I, I blunt the likely impact of this and make it better and better over time. And I can also, with that list, like you say, with that list, I can now, as new things are added, I can maintain it, make it a little bit more dynamic, make it more living, and I can make the right choice about where a new department goes or a new division goes or a new services office through, offered through based on the security characteristics of what it looks like. Yeah, I love it. It's a fantastic summary. I think, I, I think we end on that one. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Jack, thanks for a great year. For anybody listening to this, uh, I hope you are having or have had a fantastic holiday and we look forward to seeing you more in 2024.